0: Turn with me. Yeah, that's it. Go ahead and stand. Why do we stand? Maybe we'll do a lesson on that, but here it is in a nutshell. We stand because the word of God is worthy of my standing. Uh, we stand out of respect. Um, and I I love our national anthem and, and I do. Pledge my allegiance whenever we give, you know, where where it's appropriate, we're participating in reciting the national anthem. And I just think if I'm if I'm gonna stand and put my hand on my heart for the national anthem of an earthly country, then then now I'll stand out of reverence and respect for the word of God, which is the constitution of a heavenly kingdom. Jesus' name. So Genesis chapter two. And verse 7. So we stand out of respect for the Word of God. Genesis chapter 2, and verse 7. If you have it, say Amen. Thank you. Now, if you have it, say Amen. I took it off the screen. I was just testing to see who brought their Bibles to church. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. Verse 21 She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They shall be one flesh now we've had a great time teaching well I'll just put it to you this one I have had a great time teaching over the past well this is now the fifth well really the sixth week because Bishop Wilbanks taught one lesson he just didn't realize that he was just flowing in he probably did because he's Bishop Wilbanks, so. Um, but we, I've had a great time teaching. Some of the, the subjects have been really fun. Um, some have been uh, more controversial than others. Lesson one, we taught about ages and dispensations. Lesson two, we taught about urgent eschatology. Uh, You can be seated. I was going to keep going, but I'll be standing this whole time. You guys can go ahead and sit down. Just don't go to sleep on me. So, lesson two, we taught about urgent eschatology. It's not nearly as daunting a subject as uh, what it sounds. It's big words, but you can go back on the podcast and listen to those two. And then, in lesson three, we taught... About cremation, uh, what the Bible says, what history says. That is not on the podcast, but we do have it recorded. And so if you were not here and you would like a copy of that message, please uh, see Brother Stender after service. And I've asked him, anybody that comes and wants one of those messages that we can send you a link and you can download it and you can listen to it. Um, So that was lesson three and then Bishop Wilbanks was here and taught about being positioned for blessing. Um, And then last week we talked about dating and courting and I told you that these last week and this week and next week all kind of build upon each other. And so we want our families to be blessed. Uh, if you're not recording, you can. are you already recording? Thank you. Uh, I can take it from here, Brother Stratton. If you want to come sit with your family, please. Uh, we want our young people to have a good, godly, And when I say good, I mean the best foundation possible for the rest of their lives. Um, They're at the age where they're feeling some things. They are experiencing thoughts and feelings that they have not heretofore had uh, as far as their sexuality. Uh, And sex is not a dirty word. Uh, The world has made it dirty. The world has perverted it. But it was created and ordained by God. And so we talked about dating and courting last week, and I want to build upon that this week and fast forward, but not really fast forward. I want to lay even more framework upon what we talked about last week because our relationships with God matter. Our relationships with God matter, but our relationships with each other also matter. And so tonight, we're going to be talking about the touchy subject of marriage and as marriage pertains to divorce and how that looks as far as the church. Should the church have a position? Well, as we'll see by the end of this sermon tonight, or teaching tonight, the Bible has a position. And so the position of the church ought to be the position of the Bible. And so we're going to do our best to explain the position of the Bible. Um, And we're going to start back at Genesis chapter 2 and verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman, brought her unto the man. Young people, here's a little homework assignment for you. You find out, what the Bible was talking about, if it's really a rib, as in part of your rib cage, or not. Research it. Get back with me. Just don't research it while I'm preaching. Okay? And he, God made the woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Now I talked about it a little bit last week. You've heard me say this before. You're going to hear me say it again. Uh, And I'm not just teaching this tonight for our young people. I'm teaching this for the church. Um, And I understand that there are some of us here that circumstances were different than others. And that's okay. Because you're in church tonight. And that's really what matters. Some of us had premarital counseling, others of us did not. Um, So we're kind of digging into some of that. But I, I believe, and I'm telling you right now, that God wants you to have the best. God wants you to have the best, the absolute best. You are a child of God. And I don't know why I just keep saying this and why I feel such a, an urgency in my spirit, That's it. but God wants your marriage to be the best. And I'll just go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Like I said Sunday night, I don't know who's putting cats in bags, but we're letting the cat out, okay? Okay. <laughs> sorry I just my mind works in pictures and so when I said cat out of the bag I just ah! God wants you to have the best with your current spouse I just felt the little vein in my forehead start pulsating okay we're going to look at how that how that works maybe not that tonight, but we'll get there. Uh, the first relationship that God created was between man and himself. That's the first. So when we look at and study the Bible, we don't just look at the letter, but we also look at the principles. We look at how it's organized. So my life should still be a reflection of this. Okay, Your life should still be a reflection of this. The first and major Relationship that matters is my relationship with God. My relationship with God is priority. Young man, young lady, as you're courting and getting serious about marriage and the rest of your life, you need to remember your first priority. In life is your relationship with God and if you'll get your relationship with God right everything else can then and only then come into order the second relationship that God created was between husband and wife and that was ordained by God God created marriage God created marriage. In Genesis chapter 2 and verse 24 is the first occurrence of the word wife. Let's break down verse 24. Therefore, shall a man leave his, and I know that's, that looks like a mess up there. It looks like we're back in high school English class and we're diagramming sentences. I don't know how to diagram sentences, so we're, that's not what we're doing, okay? We're just drawing circles and pointing arrows and giving some definitions and, and we're gonna break things down tonight, okay? We can, we can get so much from this one verse. You ready? Therefore, why? What is, what is therefore, therefore? Therefore, what is what is the cause? Therefore is the effect, but what is the cause? Because Adam's wife, because the man's wife was bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. When you begin to look at the language as it was originally written in Hebrew that I can't read and I hope that you can read it, but... If you can't, I'll just tell you what uh, the concordance said. Okay, The word that is used for Adam is the word ish. It's actually spelled I-S-H. It's not ish. It's ish. When Adam sees his wife that God has created for him and God brings to him. See, When our relationship with God gets right, God can bring all kinds of things, all kinds of blessings into our life. Not all kinds of things. She's not a thing. She's a blessing. Now that you're in church, even if it didn't start out that way, it's a blessing, and God still knows. God's still in control. God can still. uh, We ought to get excited. But when Adam saw her, he didn't just say, whoa, man. He probably did. I mean, his heart was... (laughs) whoa, whoa, God, is she for me? Did you do that for me? Sure does. She sure is. And when Adam saw her, he used the word for himself in a feminine uh lost the word that I'm, I'm looking for, but it's the feminine version of ish. It's ish or ish Sha. It's the feminine word for himself. So when Adam saw her, it wasn't just seeing her as another person. He was seeing her in the light of God's design. Therefore, because she is part of him, because she was taken from the man, or rather, she was taken from the man, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother. So let's look closer. Therefore shall a man. He did not say, therefore shall a boy He did not say, therefore shall a child. He said, therefore shall a man. When we look at that, the word man indicates maturity. So, therefore shall a man. We need to be mature as we're operating as husband and wife. Therefore shall a man leave. It's indicating transition that's taking place. What kind of transition is taking place? It's from one stage of life to the next. He's no longer operating in childish things. Paul said, when I was a child, I spake like a child. I talked like a child. I acted like a child. I threw a fit like a child. I wallowed on the ground like a child. I did childish things. But when I became a man, Paul's indicating there's a there's a shift, there's a transition that happens. I put away childish things. I put away childish things. And I cleaved to mature things. So... He shall leave who? His father and his mother. Now, this doesn't just mean that he's moving out. We're we're really talking about marriage right here, okay? So, parents, maybe you didn't grow up in church. I'm setting the stage right now for why we live for God. Here's one thing. This is one benefit of why we live for God. We're gonna get down to the end of my notes and I'll ask you a question. Is marriage easy? Don't answer it. Just be thinking about it, okay? When this man in Genesis 2.24 is transferring, he's transforming, he's shifting, he's moving, transitioning, he's leaving his father, He's leaving his mother, and he's cleaving to his wife. This this is the ideal circumstance, parents, okay? This is ideal. Don't make me qualify it yet. I'll qualify it here in a minute. The ideal circumstance is that a man has the experience of growing up in a model Christian family. Now, I understand that sin is in the world. And so this home is not going to be a perfect home. It can't be a perfect home. But a model home, a home that is holy, a home that is Christ-centered, Christocentric. We're going all the way back to lesson one. We're pulling out big words. I want my home to be operating in Christocentricity centered around Christ. I want it to be a healthy home, spiritually, emotionally. We'll teach some other time about physically healthy when I get the revelation, okay? See you guys Saturday for the men's donut tour. This is the ideal circumstance, that this man has lived in a godly Christian home. The godly father, the godly mother. And that then, when he transitions into manhood, he can take that experience. He can take that knowledge. And he's not just leaving his father and his mother, he's not abandoning them, but he's starting out on his own. He is now taking that experience. To start his own family. Now, parents, don't answer this out loud, but we need to ask ourselves. I already mentioned it. We're not perfect. But would we be okay with our children having a marriage and a home like ours? Now, if that hits you like it hits me, that's a sobering thought. Because I can do better. So, while I understand that that scenarios like this model Christian Christ-centered holy home, like I'm describing that this man would, would have the ideal experience growing up in, is not a common scenario. Even in this church. Why? Let me tell you why. Because for a a large majority of us, you might be the first generation ever filled with the Holy Ghost, like the Bible says, with the glossolalia, the evidence of speaking in other tongues. You might be the first in your generation or the first in your family, rather, the first generation of your family to be baptized in Jesus' name, to have an understanding of what it means to to be sanctified and separated from the world. And so some of us may not have had that, so it's hard to know how to have that. And even some of us that grew up in church can look back and say, well, there was a lot of good, but there was also some that wasn't so good. And there's some things that I should do, and there's some things that I should do differently. So I understand that scenarios like this are not common in a largely first generational church. However, that's not an excuse. That's just something we need to be uh, aware of because the church's relationship with Jesus Christ, he is the groom and we are the bride. So that is an example that we have. How does God operate with the church? Also, you can look around and find someone in the church that does have a healthy family. That, that's, that's part of the reason why it's so important for us to be aware of who is around us because we are emulating or imitating. We are an example to those who are around us. So, I want to find somebody within the church that can mirror that image for those that didn't have it in their own home growing up. That's why having healthy marriages and families is so vitally important. And so, the man is leaving his father and his mother. He's leaving, he's transitioning. He's a man now, he's not leaving as a boy. It's decent, it's in order. He's a man. It's time to transition. It's time to start my own family. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave or cling to, to keep close to his wife. There is affection there. Men, we ought to be affectionate towards our wives. She's not going to like you being mushy and gushy all the time. She's going to tell you to straighten up and be a man. But there's a tenderness that we ought to be able to show her. An affectionate side that says, I want to take care of you. I want to nourish you. I want to cherish you. I want to provide for you I don't want to depart from you as long as we both shall live this phrase and shall cleave so well, pastor you're setting some pretty high standards you better believe I am I got a daughter in here sometimes dads we ought to ask ourselves what I want my daughter Married to somebody like me? What would I do if her future husband was treating her like I'm treating my wife? There are some days I'd probably want to bury him in a hole. Moms, ask yourselves, do I want my son to be married to someone like me do I want her to treat him my baby the way I'm treating his daddy leaving and cleaving that means that aside from my relationship with God my relationship with my spouse is the most important relationship in the world. What about my kids, Pastor? If your relationship with your spouse is right, that's that's more for your kids, that's doing more for your kids than you can ever imagine. Than you can ever imagine. You're setting the example. Not just for that day, not just for that week, but for their entire lives. The words, and shall cleave, are kind of like being glued together. Glued together. We're stuck together like two birds of a feather. Not stuck together in a bad way. Like Siamese twins, baby. You can't cut us apart. You can't blow us apart. You can't chase us apart. She's my ride or die. Everybody doing okay? Man, don't you get quiet on me tonight? I'll just park here and we'll just talk about marriage instead of the other part. Cleaving this, this gluing together is further explained or expressed in the next clause of this verse that says, and they shall be one flesh. This was so important that it's not just in the Old Testament. And it wasn't just repeated by anybody in the New Testament. It was actually repeated by Jesus. And we'll get to that here in just a little bit. When Jesus said it, he said, And these twain, or these two, shall be one. This this language indicates that, that two single individuals, when they are married, become, that means it doesn't just happen overnight, but it's a. A process. I'll just go ahead and tell you, marriage is work. Marriage is work. Young people, marriage is work. You hear me? Guys, you hear me? Greg, you sleeping with your eyes open? You good? Okay. Isaiah, you hear me? Marriage is work. It's work. See be a lot of work for you a lot more for your wife buying her a box of dynamite girls you hear me it's just going to be work he's going to wake up in the morning and his hair's going to be sticking out all over he's going to have bad breath bad breath like, oh no, not my sweetie. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. But he brings me flowers, he'll stop. We'll have to we'll have to keep poking him and prodding him. I'm just I'm painting it real, okay? And we're gonna cover a lot of this in premarital counseling. He's gonna have to keep chasing you, but there's gonna be days where he's looking around the house for your keys or your phone, and he's using his man eyes. It means he can scan right over the top of it 17 times and he won't see it, and it's going to frustrate you, and you're going to be like, "Eh." "It's work." Why didn't you treat me the way that you did when we were dating? You should not. Well, you should be dating still, should be courting still, investing in each other. But it's work. It takes work. It doesn't just fall into place. Okay? Hollywood has lied. Sorry, just got a little mad. Hollywood has lied to humanity and said that everything just falls into place and they all just live happily ever after. No, they work happily ever after. we got to keep working. These two shall become one flesh. It's a process. Ephesians chapter 5. It wasn't just Jesus that said it. Husbands, love your wives, even even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Men, you ought to tape this to your steering wheel. You ought to tape it to the refrigerator where you'll see it. Give yourselves to your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Verse 28. So want men to love their wives as their own bodies. We're here in the oneness language again. These two have become one. Men, love your wives as your own body. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. Obviously, we're not starving ourselves. But we are nourishing ourselves and cherishing ourselves so do that to your wife for your wife even as the Lord does to the church for we are members of his body of his flesh and of his bones so we're here in language similar to what Adam said bone of my bone flesh of my flesh that's how Christ views the church For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself. And the wife see that she reverence her husband. We're hearing the language of love and respect there. If you've never read that book, you need to read that book. The Language of Love and Respect. In Matthew, I think I forgot to put a slide in here. Matthew chapter 19 and verse 3 is where we hear Jesus repeat these words. We've got to listen to it in this whole context. Okay? Now, has everybody gotten the, the, the picture here that marriage is pretty important? It's pretty important. Now, we cannot go into everything. This is, believe it or not, not marriage class tonight. But we are establishing the church's position, not just on marriage, but divorce. It's quiet, Okay. Right? It's quiet. doesn't need to get quiet. The Pharisees also came unto him tempting him and saying to him is it lawful for a man to put away or divorce his wife for every cause and he being Jesus answered and said unto them have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female there's a lot that can be solved just in that one verse and said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain, or two, shall be one flesh. Wherefore they are no more two, but one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put asunder. So, who were the Pharisees? In a nutshell, they were Jewish religious leaders. What does this conversation, what is going on here? What is the context of this conversation? The Pharisees come to Jesus, and they don't like him very much. Okay, They are challenging Jesus to answer one of the most controversial questions of their day. They're asking him when... Is divorce permissible? Jesus looks at them and he references Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And then he also references our opening text in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 23 and 24, which we've already read, but it says in Adam said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Jesus is saying that the two people who were individuals bring their individual strengths and their individual weaknesses, their individual personalities their individual callings, their individual dreams, their individual desires into a marriage, and then they mesh all of that together. It sounds messy, but it can really be beautiful. Where now it's not me and you, it's us. It's not your money, and my money. It's our money. It's not my car and your car. It's our car. It's not my house and your house. It's our house. Everything comes together. So, the purpose of marriage is a deep, physical and spiritual unity. When everything's operating the way it should and listen, I know we've got hard days. We've got rough moments. It's not going to be perfect. But the goal is that we operate together. And I'm going to tell you what. It is ordained of God. And the word of the Lord says that the man that finds a wife finds a good thing. Verse 6, the latter part of verse 6 says, What therefore God hath joined together. Marriage is instituted of God between one man and one woman. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put Asunder. Now, put asunder is not, that's not chorizo. Not chorizo. Sausage has nothing to do with this. It's chorizo. It's how it's pronounced. That's why I put it up there. Had to give you a break. Had to give you something to laugh about, okay? No chorizo. But to put asunder means to separate or divide. If you were to study it out in more in-depth places, then it means to vacate as in when papyrus, original paper, was peeled off. Used to be one, but now there's just individual pieces, individual sheets. It's been cut, separated, divided. It refers to divorcing a marriage partner, vacating the relationship in soul or in body. So what does this have to do with... The Pharisees were asking Jesus this question. They're trying to trip him up. Because at that time in the land of Israel, there were really two positions that the rabbis had. And they were very separated. One school of the rabbis said that divorce was never an option. The others said that you could basically divorce your wife if she burnt your toast. If you woke up cranky and her morning breath was more than you wanted to inhale. Legitimately, for anything. She tied up the camel wrong. She used the wrong color bed sheets. She won't clip my toenails. Yuck. Throw her away. Get a new one. And so here come the Pharisees, and they're saying, okay, let's mess with him. Where do you fall, Jesus? Of which school of the prophets are you? Is it never an option, or is it always an option? And Jesus used the tactic tactic that they use in philosophy, and he said neither A nor B, but there is a third option. Let no man tear it asunder. Let me back up here. Asunder means into parts. It means apart from each other. So Jesus gives them these biblical references. What therefore God hath joined together, let no man put it asunder. Because woman was taken from the man, uh, and he's speaking to them, quoting Genesis, they don't understand that he was there and he's the one that formed man, and he's the one that put Adam to sleep before anesthesia was ever a thing and performed the first surgery by taking out of Adam uh, a rib, a bone, and forming Eve. And so, where do you stand on this? They continue their questioning, and they're saying, so if the two are now one, but are joined by God and let no man separate the union. And they get into silly things like, okay, well, there was, uh, there was a man and a woman who were married. They didn't have any kids. The man dies. He has a brother according to the law, so on and so forth, blah, blah, blah. Down and down and down the list they go. And then they say, well, why... Matthew chapter 19 and verse 7. They said unto him, Why then did Moses command to give a writing of divorcement to put her away? If you're saying let no man tear the union apart, why did Moses say this? What was Moses's position? Where where did they get this this question? They got it in Deuteronomy chapter 24. And verse 1, it says, When a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he's found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement, and give it in her hand, and send her out of his house. When she's departed out of his house, she may go and be another man's wife. And if the latter husband hate her, this poor soul, the latter husband hate her, write her a bill of divorcement, Gives it in her hand, sends her out of his house. Or if the latter husband die, which took her to be his wife, her former husband, which has sent her away, may not take her again to be his wife. After that, she is defiled. For that is abomination before the Lord. Thou shalt not cause the land to sin, which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance. So that's the position that the Pharisees are coming from. Where did Moses say it? This is where Moses says it. However, Jesus goes on and he explains it this way. He said unto them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. From the beginning, it was not so. So where was Moses coming from? Moses was coming from a place where he was dealing with the hardness of their hearts. Hardness of your hearts refers to sinful hearts. And he said Moses suffered or permitted it because your hearts were sinful. But God never intended for marriage to end in divorce. It wasn't that way from the beginning. When mankind was created, mankind was created in innocence. Okay, pastor, well, what about now? Now that sin has entered into the world. So Jesus elaborates on that in verse 9. And he said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her, which is put away, doth commit adultery. Fornication. What is it? It refers to all types of sexual sins. Jesus explained that divorce was permissible only, I'm going to repeat that, only because of sexual unfaithfulness. Adultery can include physical adultery. Or adultery of the heart. Jesus would tell the crowd, he said, if you've even looked on a woman to lust after her, you've committed adultery in your heart. So that word fornication that's used in Matthew chapter 19 is a Greek word for nea. Pornea is the root word of the English terms pornography and pornographic. It's also used in other places. The root is as pornos, which is derived from porneo, which means to sell off properly. Used as a selling off or the surrendering of sexual purity. It indicates promiscuity of any and every type. And whoso marrieth her or him which is put away doth commit adultery. What is it saying, Pastor? It's saying whoever divorces and remarries for any other reason. Let me let me pause. Divorce was never the intended outcome of God. Ever. 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 Reconciliation is always the perfect will of God. Whoever divorces and remarries for any other reason, is what the word is saying, committeth adultery. How? Because the two have become one. The two have become one. And so, when someone commits fornication, someone who is married, now Outside of marriage, the Bible says, if you're committing fornication, you're sinning against your own body. But the two have become one. And when there is divorce for any other reason, you're separating the union. People would ask, people have asked, you know that I have strong opinions. This is one area that I have a strong opinion about. Because any way you read it any way you read it Jesus is saying there's only one permissible reason. We'll get to some questions that people ask here in a few minutes. But he also said, whoever marries someone who has been an adulterer or an adulteress becomes a participant in adultery themselves. So, people ask, people have asked me, well, what then about the the adulterous woman? John chapter 8. Now, we know some things about the adulterous woman in John chapter 8. There are some things that we don't know. We don't know if she was married. Or if she was the mistress of a man who was married. Does it make a difference? She's caught in the very act of adultery. We know that. They bring her to Jesus they throw her down at his feet and they announce they say hey according to the law of Moses this woman should be stoned what do you say he doesn't say anything he bends down he kneels in the dirt he starts writing in the sand writing in the dirt we don't know what he writes there has been speculation Sorry, he did say something. I got ahead of myself. He said, he that's without sin, let him cast the first stone. He kneels down. He starts writing in the sand. As he's writing, people begin leaving. The crowd begins dispersing. She's still on the ground, no doubt crying, no doubt fearful. Jesus looks up. And he says in verse 10, And he lifted himself up and saw none but the woman. He said to her, Woman, where are those thine accusers? Hath no man condemned thee? She said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. So what about this adulterous woman? We find that when her pathway intersects with the pathway of Jesus that grace and forgiveness are extended to this woman. He did not condemn her to death. Let me make that clear. He did not condemn her to death. Well, pastor, does that mean that he was consenting to her adultery? In verse 11, he acknowledges the fact that she had sinned. But then he forgives it, and he tells her to go and sin no more. He's extended forgiveness, and he desires that this woman should look forward to a life with no more sin. He was not giving her permission to run back to her lover. He was not giving her permission to go perhaps sell herself to the highest bidder. He was not giving her permission to go back and live in promiscuity or fornication and adultery. But the encounter with the Master brought an opportunity for redemption. Just like when you and I Received redemption. We are charged to go and sin no more. So there are questions that people have asked. Questions that perhaps you have. And believe it or not, I'm almost done. I believe I've made it pretty clear The Bible says there's one justifiable cause for divorce. say, well, what, what if, Pastor, what if I was divorced before I got in church? And I would tell you that, first of all, what we did before salvation is under the blood of Jesus. It is under the blood of Jesus. And I would ask you this. Is reconciliation possible? I'm not asking anybody to answer that. But I would say there are usually two sides to every story. And your testimony now, God could use your testimony to bring salvation to your former spouse. It's not always possible. There are legitimate reasons, etc. Well, are you saying, Pastor, that I need to stay unmarried if I got divorced prior to coming to God? No. It's not what I'm saying. But I do believe that that's something that you should pray about. I do believe you should have clear direction from God. That way there's no question in your mind moving forward. Did I do the right thing or did I not? Because God does not want you living with guilt. God does not want you living with questions as far as questioning whether you did the right thing or not. But God can speak to you. God can move in your heart. God can move in your mind. Uh, Moving forward, if you decided, you know what, I do believe that I want to be married, I feel like God has released me to do so. Then just like with our dating and courting lesson last week, premarital counseling is still needed. Not even suggested. It is necessary. Another question that I have had, and it is a valid question, what about abuse what about abuse I will tell you right now if I ever got a phone call that one of the ladies in our church was being abused by her husband I would make one phone call And it would be to that husband. And this is something along the lines of how that phone call would go. Listen, dirtbag, I'll be there in two minutes. And if you're still there, when I get there, I'll have to make a second phone call. And it won't be to the police. Because if you want to beat up on a woman, then let's meet out in the yard. You could pick on somebody your own size. You can be a man and stand there toe-to-toe with me. That's probably not a godly response. Is that a situation where the Bible permits divorce? No, it's not. Unless there are sexual sins that are going on as well but in no way, in no shape, and in no form is anyone expected to live under the same roof as that. And it would take a pretty big train to get in the way. Abuse comes in many shapes and forms and fashions. It's all bad. It's not godly at all. It's not appropriate at all. You hear me? Men, you hear me? Mental abuse, emotional abuse is not godly at all. It's not appropriate at all. Physical abuse, obviously. No. No. And if you're dealing with that tonight, if you don't have my phone number, and I wish I could punch it in from this screen, you got a pen? 260-312-6159. Text me. Call me. And you don't have to leave and go live in that hear me yeah I don't know why I'm feeling that so strong but I'm just telling you it's not godly that is not godly and it's crazy but ladies that's not godly you hitting him and beating up on him that's not godly Emotional abuse, that's not godly. Verbal abuse, not godly. God wants us to have the best. Pastor, are you saying that if if that's going on, that there's not healing possible? That's not at all what I'm saying. Healing has to happen. In order for you to move on, healing has to happen. It is possible. It is possible. I'm going to say it again. It is possible. And I do not believe that God is pleased when any of His children suffer. Not at their own hands and not at the hands of anyone else but especially not their spouses. I believe it breaks God's heart. You don't have to walk that road alone. You shouldn't have to walk that road alone. So seeking godly counsel is a must. Separation is an option. I know this isn't fun. I know it's not easy. It's not easy to teach and it's not easy to listen to. But God wants our marriages to be the best. Some of us walked into church with brokenness, baggage. Some of us have picked up brokenness and baggage even in in spite of being in church. That doesn't make you weak. That doesn't make you less than holy. That doesn't make you less than a Christian. It makes you a human in a human relationship. That doesn't make you crazy. Jesus makes you in need of the Master. And when He gets involved, anything is possible. And nothing is impossible. So, well, Pastor, I, you just don't know. You're right. I probably don't. But I do know that God is able. We've seen him work, we've seen him move, we've seen him do it, we know if he's done it once, he'll do it again. But continuing in that life is not God's will for your life. You don't have to live under the same roof as that. And let me just go ahead, since we're this deep, we'll just wade out a little bit farther. I rebuke the lie of the enemy that tries to convince you that you deserve to live like that. You're a child of God. You are a child of God. So you don't have to subject yourself to the abuse. You don't have to just roll over and take it because you deserve it. It's not God's will for your life folks God wants your marriage to be the best young people God wants your future marriage to be the best And violence is never the answer in your marriage I said in your marriage sometimes it is the answer just not in your marriage if I get that phone call or that text it might be the answer Hey, I've, I know of pastors whose children have been in abusive relationships who are married to other preacher's kids. Mm-hmm. You know what that pastor did? He called that other dad. He said, if your boy is still there when I get there, I'll kill him. You'd better get him out. Just because we're filled with the Holy Ghost doesn't mean it doesn't happen. Because we're still human. But that's not God's will for your life. What about abuse, pastor? Is divorce permissible? Not according to the word. Separation is. You do not have to live that way. Well, why would I do that, pastor? Why would I just separate myself? Because the idea Is that by you separating yourself, bringing someone else into the equation, not as a lover, not as a boyfriend, not as a girlfriend, not as a mister or a mistress, but bringing in godly counsel, you're waving a red flag. You're saying, hey, get it together, partner. It's time to saddle up, man up woman up, we need help, this has got to stop, everybody good, I don't usually do this, but does anybody have any questions before I move on to the last, with V? So let me repeat that, that question, that's a good question, it's 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and verse what? Verse 15. So what Paul is addressing is when one spouse is a believer and the other spouse is not. Now according to Paul's other teaching, that means they were already married, or should have already been married, when one becomes a believer. Because Paul said, don't be unequally yoked with unbelievers. So that's the context we're gonna look at that in, okay? If, if it has happened otherwise, then we got other issues, okay? So if somebody is a believer and then they marry an unbeliever, chances are there's some other kind of sin in the believer's life that would cause them to do that. Um, at the very minimum, spiritual rebellion. So if people are married, husband and wife, one gets saved paul also said that the one who is saved has the ability to win the other spouse to the lord by their testimony and we've seen it god's done it now that doesn't always work and what paul is addressing in 1 corinthians 7 and verse 15 is when the unsaved spouse writes the bill of divorcement. Now, I would have to study more historically in context as to what the divorce proceedings were in Paul's day. Paul is indicating that because the believer did not want the divorce, they're freed. It's permissible because the unbeliever is not a believer. They're acting on their own. I didn't want it. I don't I don't want to be separated now in our day and age it requires both signatures so I would ask the believer what happens if you don't sign the papers after so long so after so long if my signature is not required my instruction is your pastor to protect your innocence or your innocency would be don't sign it. If you don't want it, don't sign it. And then you're protected by God because that wasn't... At that point, you can't. If you've tried to reconcile, it's out of your control. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? I have seen situations where one person falls into sin my position as pastor if reconciliation is not possible and I have seen somewhere it just wasn't just was not and both parties have to agree sorry I lost my train of thought because there was something I needed to cover And I didn't. Uh, I, I have instructed the one who was innocent. If you'll maintain your integrity, God's on your side. God is on your side. And that person, the other spouse, be it the husband or the wife, they go and do their own thing, you're protected. And if God opens the door for you to be remarried, I believe God will bless that. I absolutely believe that God will bless it. Now, if that other person doesn't maintain their innocence, that's a whole other road to cross. It's another bridge to cross. It gets messy. Okay? It gets messy. Well, what if there is infidelity? I didn't put this on the screen, but. What if there's infidelity? That means there's sexual sin. And we decide we're going to work through it. And then I change my mind. If I'm your pastor, I'm telling you, you can't change your mind. Because in that moment, when we asked, hey, there's sin, are you willing to work through it? And you said yes. you got to maintain that position. If there's another occurrence of sin, you decide again. But until then, we're fighting tooth and nail to save this. We're fighting tooth and nail to reconcile. Because it is that important it is. I've had folks that said yes we'll reconcile and the other party chose to not change their ways it's heartbreaking so a moment With the Master can change everything. He said from the beginning it wasn't this way. This is not how it was designed. It wasn't designed to be put together in the bonds and the union of marriage. Marriage is not a contract, marriage is a covenant. Marriage is a covenant. I'm sorry. Let back up. Should adulterers get married? Boots already stink. We're wading out deep. up to this point, we're up to our chins. Everybody just get you a big old whiff. Things that's getting deep in here, Sister Police. Don't look at me cross eyed like that. We're dealing with hard stuff, okay? Matthew 19, verse 9. Some folks are going to have some contention with this. Not necessarily in this building. They might. Again, my phone number is 260-312-6159. Whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whoso marrieth her or him, that is put away or divorced, doth commit adultery. Let me pause right here and say that in the days when Jesus was born, engagement was so important that when Joseph thought Mary had been promiscuous, they were engaged, they were not yet married, he would have still had to write a bill of divorcement. That's how serious God took the relationship. That's why an angel had to come to him and say, Hey, Joe. It was not like that. Should adulterers get married, whoso marrieth her which is put away doth commit adultery. Remind yourself, or I'll remind you, Jesus told the adulteress, Go and sin no more. Now, I put this up here. It's a commentary. Uh, And it uses some big words, and it doesn't flow as nicely as what I would like. But I want you to know this is not just pastor's opinion. It is pastor's opinion, and I'm not trying to soften it tonight. Okay? This is the Bible. This is the Bible's opinion. This is the Bible's stance. So it gives at the bottom three reasons why uh, someone who is An adulterer should not remarry. I'll just read it from the top. As to the party offending, it may be a question. But as to the innocent person who has been offended, it is no question. If you've maintained your integrity, there's no biblical reason why you should not get remarried. You may make the decision not to. Just don't let it be because your heart's hard. For the adultery of the person offending hath dissolved the knot of marriage by the divine law. It's true that the knot cannot be dissolved without the freedom of both persons each from each other. But yet it seemeth against reason that both persons should have the like liberty to a second marriage. For, in other words, if only one was in sin, why should they both suffer? The adulteress is by God's law. A dead woman. And so in no capacity to a second marriage. Reason number two, it is unreasonable that he or she should make an advantage of their own sin and error. Why? Why should that person, number three, be given legal liberty to satisfy their lust? Ready? So should two adulterers get married? If they commit adultery together, should they get married? No. Because the word says, go and sin no more. That's pretty clear to me. That if they have sinned together, Committing adultery against their spouses together. Whoever marries them at that point is committing adultery. We're talking about after somebody has come into the church. You understand? There might be people that walk in these doors that are broken. They have all kinds of past. When they go down in the water of baptism in Jesus' name, it's under the blood. You understand? It is under the blood. doesn't matter. They've got a fresh slate. I'm talking about somebody that's Holy Ghost filled. Somebody that's been baptized in his name. Bible says that if they commit adultery, the Word says whoever marries that person is committing adultery as well. So no, scripturally, they can't hurry up and brush the mistake under the rug by getting married. They're living in their lust. The only scriptural reason for divorce. I'm almost finished. I'm closing. Let's just go ahead and stand. The evil of every system that multiplies ways for divorce is treating marriage as temporary. It's treating as temporary what was designed to be permanent. It's reducing marriage to cohabitation of persons not legally and biblically married. Listen, I would take it so far as to even say and interpret Jesus' words this way, that even divorce due to fornication is not the perfect will of God. Okay? Permissible? Yes. Yes not perfect. God's perfect will is reconciliation and no more sin. Now That's a pretty big ticket to ask somebody to pay, particularly the innocent party. And they would say, well, God separated himself from Israel. He did not divorce Israel. He has not divorced Israel. That does not mean he's living in adultery with the Gentiles. Read the book of Hosea. The opening of the door to the Gentiles for salvation was not a divorcement, but is still part of the promise that God gave to Abraham. Through your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans... Chapter 11 and verse 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. To provoke who? The Jews. So divorce, even in situations where there is fornication, is a last-ditch effort to provoke the offender to repentance and reconciliation. Is marriage easy? Ask somebody that's married. They'll tell you it's not easy. I already said you're taking two individuals, making them one. That's not easy. Somebody said, ask a married person and they'll tell you. Someone once said all marriages are happy it's a living together afterwards that's difficult one marriage counselor said in premarital counseling he said okay let's set some boundaries if she burns a toast are you divorcing her if he forgets to fill the car up with gas are you divorcing him well no okay well if such and such happens are you gonna divorce him well well, it, it, that's fine, but let's write it into the vows. For as long as we both shall live, unless you do this, 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 or this. He said, nobody wants to do that. It's not romantic. All marriages are happy. It's the living together. Afterwards. It's difficult. One book regarding marriage and divorce states that 33%, folks, 33%. Percent of all Christian marriages end in divorce. You come too late to tell me we don't need to be teaching about things like this. I'm not trying to scare you away from marriage. And the disciples, after Jesus said that to the Pharisees, they said, well, Jesus, we think that that nobody should even get married. Well, too bad for Peter, he's already married. Jesus said, that's not what I'm saying at all. That's a special calling. Not everybody starts talking about eunuchs then. Young people, you can ask your parents about eunuchs after church. Marriage is not a contract. It's a covenant. A contract is based on mutual distrust. I'm only fulfilling my role if you do, and if you don't, then I'm out. If you do not pay the balance upon completion, we can charge you 27% interest per year until it is paid. I will make your life a living misery. But a covenant is based on mutual commitment. Marriage is not just a practical arrangement. It's a spiritual commitment. It's designed by God to be one of the most Intimate of human relationships. And it's not at all about self centeredness. That's where we get so wrong. It's so easy as fallen human beings, fallen into sin, to make everything about us. But marriage matters to God and it should matter to us. I want us to lift our hands tonight. I want us to pray for each other, for ourselves, for our spouses if we're married. If you're not married, pray for your future spouse if you want to get married. I know, young people, that might sound like it's it's weird or outdated, but if you start praying for them now, it's going to be a lot easier for you to pray for them when you are married. God, I pray for each and every marriage that's represented in this church.